Children can be dismissed for children's church. The rest of you can turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We're looking at speaking the truth in love. Last week we looked at how we speak the truth about desire and the way everyone else lives and the way Christ is different than that. This morning we're looking at why become a Christian, in a sense. Why speak truth about that? If, if, if you were ever in a hypothetical situation, or maybe you've been in this situation where someone, someone came up to you and like, I, I heard you were a Christian, why should I become a Christian? How would you answer that question? Why should I become a Christian? What's so great about being a Christian? How would you answer that? I'm reminded of uh, the movie Wally. I, I, I know this is kind of both dates me, but also uh, I'm, I'm realizing maybe some younger folks haven't seen the movie. But uh, you remember the movie Wally, right? Where there's this robot who's kind of for. Uh, 700 years picking up trash, right? And uh, finally this drone shows up and uh, finds one plant amongst the devastation and uh, heads back to the the mothership, which is somewhere far across the galaxy. And uh, it's been kind of circling for 700 years. And the people of Earth who were rescued from Earth uh, I've been living on this spaceship for 700 years, doing the same things over and over and over again for 700 years, right? And um, the drone shows up, and uh, it's trying to get the attention of the captain. And uh, the captain is just kind of droning on about doing the, the same thing for the 700th year, 700th year. And uh, he's like, hey, the drone's like, hey, we can go home now, right? And, uh, of course, all the shenanigans that result from maybe not thinking about, like, that's the best place to do is to go home. But being a Christian, right, is a lot about saying, in a sense, I know we've been doing the same thing for thousands of years, but we can finally go home. There's there's good news, right? We can finally go home. And that's what's so great about being a Christian. And, and, our, and the grace that we receive from the message and the plan of God to bring us home. That's what, in a sense, we have a vision here at Crossroad to be, is to be a community of grace that is that says, hey, we're headed home, and we have the grace to live and to breathe and to walk in this love of God that he has given to us in Jesus Christ. The metaphor that he uses here in Ephesians chapter 4 is the metaphor of getting dressed, of changing clothes. In a sense, he's saying that we used to be dressed like rebels, and now we've changed our clothes. We've dressed up in a sense, although you know, for me personally, like when, you th- when I think about getting dressed up, I would prefer to get dressed up in, in hiking clothes, you know what I mean? Like 
getting dressed up in a suit and tie is not, this is not my favorite attire, I'll just be honest, right? Like, at least like, it seems like some pastors, this is their favorite attire. Like, you, you walk into their home at 8 o'clock in the morning on a Monday, and they're like, yeah, this is, this is me, I'm dressed like this. We made fun of my dad, you know, when we were kids, because we were like, dad, the only thing you wear is black pants and black socks. Like, isn't there anything else you can wear, you know? Uh, getting dressed up. When we think about putting on clothes, what do we think of? The text here is saying that there is something that we need to be renewed in. If we're going to be to show what's so great about Christ, being Christian, if we're going to really speak the truth in love, then, then we need to understand what it means to be clothed in something different. Just follow along as I read Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. It says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds, the vanity of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But this is not the way that you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. He's saying if you want to understand and if you want to live in the reality and, and speak to the reality of living in Christ, it's like speaking about putting off the old clothes and putting on the new clothes. And my big idea this morning is that we could, instead of wandering to destruction through our desires, we can walk the path home while being clothed in the satisfaction of God's grace. Instead of walking like everyone else does and wandering to destruction through our desires, we can walk the path home while being clothed in the satisfaction of God's grace. Here in the text, he's saying, look, he's like, the, the way everyone else lives is just about desire. We talked about the ocean of desire that we all live in, in a sense. But how do we go? How do we really go? And why would it be even be important that we move from the ocean of desire to the ocean of grace? What's so great about grace? Because I can navigate the ocean of desire. It doesn't satisfy, but I can navigate it. I understand it. So what's so great about grace? And he is saying here, you've learned something about Christ. And that learning of Christ should teach you, there's a pattern here, to put off, to be renewed, and to put on. And that pattern is then, if you read on in the chapter, verses 25 and following, that pattern is played out. You're told to put off, for instance, lying, and to put on telling the truth, and you're renewed about who you are, that we are members of one another. So this, there's this pattern that goes through, but I want to focus this morning not on how you do it, but why you do it. Why do we live in grace? What's so great about grace? And it reminds me to go back, right, in the passage in a sense, and first of all, if I can get my clicker to work here, turn it on. 
First of all, we know grace because of Jesus' victory and Jesus' example. So he's saying you've learned something about grace because you've learned Christ. Well, what have we learned about Christ? How did grace come to us? Ephesians chapter 4, right? Verse 8 says, Therefore, but gr- verse 7, sorry, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led host, a, a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. He's saying Christ has won this cosmic victory over death and sin for us, and therefore we receive grace out of Christ's victory. He has won this this victory for us over death. He's won this victory over sin. And at the same time, therefore, grace isn't just forgiveness or mercy for sin. Sometimes I think, and this is the way I kind of thought sometimes growing up, like, okay, grace is just forgiveness, right? Grace is just this idea that I'm forgiven for my sins, that I, that I, that I have mercy from God. He's not going to hold my sins against me. But grace is way more than that, right? Grace is the, the gift of a full relationship with God, it's, it's the grace of the fact that now I'm now one, I'm in one body and one spirit and that, that we have one hope that belongs to our call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. That we have this full relationship with the, the oneness with everything good in the universe. And we did not earn that. We do not deserve it. It's been given to us as a gift. Another way of looking at grace is just to ask the question, how did Jesus view the Father? If we've been welcomed into a relationship with God, then we've been, we've, we should learn something not just from Jesus' victory, but also from Jesus' example. How did Jesus view his relationship with the Father? One of the best places to go is the Gospel of John, and you can go there and see how Jesus over and over again says, I'm from the Father. <laughs> And he, one, in one place in John, he says explicitly, he says, I do what I do because I want to obey the Father, but I'm obeying the Father. Why? Because I love the Father. <laughs> There's this love relationship with, between Christ and, and, and God the Father to, to the extent that he's saying, I'm obeying him because I love him and I know that he loves me, right? John 3.16, famous verse, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus had this explicitly concrete view, foundation, if you will, that he knew God the Father loved him, right? That was his relationship with the Father. And he could go to the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane and say, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, but not my will but yours be done. Why could he say that? Because he knew the Father loved him. And he lived in, in a sense, the grace of that. You know, the, someone who's opposite than that in the Bible is Job, right? Job's a good guy, it says in Job chapter 1. <laughs> and yet, the majority of the book of Job is questioning whether God is my enemy, right? 
I'm suffering, God. I've gone through so much suffering. I've had so much trauma. I've had so much shame. I've had so many bad things happen to me. I think you're my enemy. (laughs) Not that you're my friend. Not that you love me. But Jesus, on the other hand, could go to the cross and say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing, right? Father, I know you love me even though I'm facing shame and disgrace and destruction. He knew his father loved him. And he also viewed the father as someone he could trust because of his provision, his power, and his plan. And why do we struggle with grace? Because we struggle to see God's provision, his power, or his plan, right? We're like, how is this possible? How how does this work? I, I I I can't figure out how this works. It's Dave Hyman's birthday today, so you might not know Dave Hyman, but I'm going to tell a story about him and Nate Teed to illustrate this this truth. Why, why live in grace? Back when I was younger, which is a while ago now, uh, Dave Hyman and Nate Teed came to me and were like, hey, we want to go to the Boundary Waters. You want to go? I was like, oh, it sounds cool. Never been to the Boundary Waters. It sounds awesome. What is it going to take? I'm like, well, we'll sit down with you. We'll, we'll explain it. So, okay. So we sat down one night, one Wednesday night after Iwana, and we were talking and I'm like okay here's the food we're gonna need here's the equipment we're gonna need and and at the end Dave's like oh and by the way don't wear cotton no cotton in the boundary waters I was like no cotton in the boundary waters what do you mean like all I wear is cotton I wear denim it's it's all it's all just it's all cotton like like I know Dave Hyman you know he might not wear cotton but Nate Teed, he wears cotton. He's like me. You know, like, we just, we just wear stuff that, that we can use, and it's comfortable, and who cares? You know, like, so I go back, and I, I pull out my cotton stuff, and I'm like, Amy, here's my clothes. You know, Dave Hyman, he said I shouldn't wear, you know, denim and cotton, but, but I'm going to be okay. And she looked at me, and she being the quintessential northern woman that she is, she just laughed at me. She's like, no, you will not be okay. You will not be okay. You need new clothes. So we went to Jack's, and she's like, you need this, and you need this, and you need this. And I'm like, new clothes? Who wants to shop for clothes? Like, this is crazy. I don't like shopping for clothes, but okay. She says it. Dave says it. I'm going to trust him. that I'm going to need it. So... We get up to the Boundary Waters. I'm in my new clothes, no cotton at all. Nate Teed, he has some cotton underneath his non-cotton stuff. I'm like, okay. He didn't quite get the message, but I guess we'll go with that. So in the first hour, in the first hour, it was, just to give you the background, this is the, the, the first time we went up, um, the, the, we didn't realize the water was like nine inches higher than normal. Like it had rained, it had rained all of September, and we were coming in in October, and it was the water was so high, and so we got in. And in the first hour, Dave Hyman and Phil Irwin, who was who used to go to our church too and lives in Pennsylvania now, he, they dumped their canoe. And this is October in the Boundary Waters. It is cold. Dave 
is not in cotton. Phil Irwin, in cotton. <laughs> Just saying. Now, they, they both struggled a little bit with hypothermia because it was cold. But Dave didn't struggle nearly as much as Phil. Like when we got to the campsite at night, Phil was shivering because he was so cold. He'd been living in his cold clothes for the rest of the day. Dave Hyman, he's like, pull it off, you know, put on some new stuff, hang out my old clothes, dries really quick. Phil Irwin, he couldn't even wear that set of clothes for the rest of the trip because they would never dry out because it was too cold and too wet to dry out in the boundary waters. Why am I bringing this up? Because clothes matter. <laughs> this is what I figured out. Like, the clothes you wear when you're going on a trip that's somewhat dangerous, somewhat new, somewhat different, they matter. And what we think is, when Christ comes to us and says, hey, the grace that you've received, that's what really matters. We think, oh, well, it's nice to get grace. I'm fine getting a new pair of clothes, but... Why do I need to wear those clothes? Right? I can wear my old clothes and just be just fine. And Christ is saying, no. You need my grace. You want to get through this life? You want to survive? You want to be able to even thrive in this world? You need a new set of clothes. You need to live in a new environment. <laughs> Not in the sense that you can get out of this environment, but you need to live with a new set of capabilities <laughs> that you wouldn't have. But we, what do we do? We, we don't think that grace will really satisfy. We go, it's nice to get grace, but I'm, I think my old desires for, you know, fun and pleasure and maybe a, a little position in life and a little money in life, like, those are still important, God, right? Like, like, I'm just waiting to heaven to get those, but if you can give me a little of those now, then, then that's really what matters. That's what's really important. And, and we struggle through life because we don't think He can satisfy our desires. Because we look around and we think no one else, can, no one else thinks God is going to satisfy our desires, so why should I? So, you have to know grace. You have to know what grace is. But then he's also saying to be renewed in grace, you have to put off the old ways of satisfying desire. He's like, you got to take off the old clothes. They're not going to get you there. Why? And he says explicitly here in Ephesians chapter 4, he says why? He says, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former man of life and is corrupt, or another way of translating it, is being destroyed through deceitful desire. So the desires that, you, that you're trusting in to satisfy you, to say, this is what you really need, this is what you should want, and this is how you can satisfy those things, those are lying to you. And they're destroying you through their lies. And that's why you need to put them off. Going back to Wally for a second, just right? Like, after 700 years, the ship was falling apart, right? It was falling apart. In some ways, it's, it's no different than this world that we live in. I know God made this world, but after sin came in, he's like, I've got to recreate it. And 
it's falling apart. I know we, we need to do what we can to keep things running and keep the ship ship shape, so to speak, but it's not going to last. And the hope is not like with Elon Musk to be like, hey, let's move to Mars. We need a new heaven and a new earth that's going to last forever. But instead, what, what, hap- what the world does and what Christians can struggle with as well is we look outward at what everyone else is doing and think, well, if I can just do those things, then I'll be satisfied. And this is what we call, in the Bible, it's called worldliness, right? Worldliness is believing that the old ways of satisfying desire don't destroy. Like, I won't be destroyed if I follow and do what everyone else is doing. I can satisfy my desire for stuff or sex or money, and it won't destroy me. There's a, kind of this phrase out there, right? Disney puts it out there all the time, like, you know, just hold on to your dreams, pursue your dreams, go after your dreams. If you have your dreams, then you've got it, right? And there's nothing wrong with dreams. God gives us dreams at times. But sometimes hold on to your dreams is simply code for something young people understand it to mean is the only thing that will satisfy are my dreams for my life. The only thing that will satisfy is my dreams for my life. So I've got to hold on to my dreams. And we, we hold on to our dreams and we grip our dreams like with a death grip. Like if I ever give them up, then, then I, I won't be satisfied. I won't have this life that I want. I won't be fulfilled. And what we don't realize is that that holding on to, that clinging to, is what destroys us. Because we're, we're being lied to about what really satisfies. When I was growing up in high school, there were people known as goths. They were dressed black. Maybe they're called something different now. They were dressed in all black, sometimes had you know, black makeup on, whatever. And uh, there was a, kind of a, a figure for them that was kind of their figure. It was, his name was Kurt Cobain. He was a, a guy who wrote music. And he wrote music because he felt like, I, I'm my own individual. I'm experiencing my own individual world, and no one else is like me. And so I'm going to write music that only satisfies me because... I'm just, I'm the only thing there is. I've got, to, I've got to find something for me. So he started to write music, and he wrote, I, I don't know the names of the songs, but, he, but what, was, what was ironic was he started writing these songs that got put out there on the, on the air, so to speak, and, and everybody started to be like, I'm like that, <laughs> you know? Man, Kurt, you're, you're identifying something for me. I'm like you. And and he, he was like, no, no, those are songs for me. You shouldn't like those songs because they're my songs. I, I can't, I can't. And he, actually, he, ultimately, sadly, he killed himself because he's like, how can it be possible that, that I thought my world was about me, that I was unique? You see, the world has all these different ways of satisfying desire. And you might think, well, I've got my own unique way of satisfying desire. And I'm just telling you, you're like everyone else. Not everyone, as in everyone, but you're like everyone else. That doesn't satisfy. Because, we, again, if we're living in the ocean of desire, it doesn't satisfy. You've got to put it off. Now, I've got to address, because I'm in a church, 
<laughs> I've got to address a, a, a form of this that sometimes Christians get, get caught up in. And it's, you can use the frame of legalism. It's the idea that if, if, you, if, you just, if you obey the rules, then you're doing what God wants you to do. You're doing your duty. But legalism is, is, is frankly, just another form of worldliness. Because it satisfies desire by demanding obedience rather than having a relationship with God himself. It believes that obedience itself will satisfy desire. Think of it this way. Sometimes people view religion as this big iron cage that locks my desires down and demands I can't really be satisfied, right? A lot of people view religion like this. Like, okay, let's just, you got to keep the rules. I know you won't be satisfied, but you just got to keep the rules. They're gonna be, you're going to be punished, right? Legalism comes in and it says, in a sense, you, you know what? If you just want the rules, you know what I mean? If you want the rules, then, then you're going to be satisfied. So you should want the rules. And you should have the, self, the self-discipline, your, the willpower, to, and, and you're going to be satisfied with your own willpower, your own self-discipline. But Christianity and grace isn't that. And that's what he's saying here when he says, but that's not the way you learned Christ. He's saying Christ himself is what satisfies. It's not the rules that satisfy, although there are rules involved. There's black and white lines. There are things that that don't satisfy and there are things that are. But the rules aren't what satisfies. It's the relationship with Jesus. It's knowing him. It's walking with him. You know, last week I talked about how sometimes people get married even though, you know, they don't necessarily believe in quote-unquote you call Christian marriage. And, and why do they do that? And I think part of it here is, is why bring it up? Why, what is, why does it even matter? Well, if you believe the lie of the desire that says, I'm going to get married in order that I can be, so I can be secure, or I'm going to get married so that I can just show that I love this person. I'm going to be satisfied with being secure or satisfied with showing love or satisfied just with being able to say I had a ceremony. None of those are what Christian marriage is about. None of those will ultimately satisfy you. And sometimes Christians come in, or at least people perceive Christians come in and say, well, you should just get married. Like, you know what? That's what you're supposed to do. If you want to be with someone, you get married. And you stick it out and you do your duty. But that's not what, again, that's not sending the wrong message about where your satisfaction lies. Our satisfaction does not lie in doing our duty. It's found in Jesus himself. And that doesn't mean that we don't do our duty. It just means that, that we understand that, it, that as we pursue Christ, as we obey him, we will be satisfied. We will find satisfaction in him. So ultimately, we need to put off the old ways of satisfying desire because those old ways, even the religious versions of those old ways, don't satisfy. In fact, they destroy Hell is real. There is coming judgment. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. 
If you sit yourself, set yourself up and say, I want my desire and that's all I want and I know what's good for me and I know what will satisfy, God's going to be like, nope, you don't understand. I made you to be in a relationship with me, to find joy with me, to walk with me. I'm not going to let you be satisfied with something that won't truly satisfy. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So we put off the old ways of satisfying desire, and therefore we were also renewed in grace by putting on a new lifestyle as a new creation. Again, notice what he says here. To be renewed in the spirit of our minds, and that's what I'm really focused on this morning, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This, this idea here is that you're a new person, you're a new man, so to speak, but, but the focus here is on that it's this, this new person is created after the likeness of God, or God, God created this new person. In, and the emphasis here actually, it says literally it's in righteousness and in, in the righteousness and holiness of the truth. So, and, and in English, we flip it around and we both hopefully get the message, but sometimes it's lost, and that the, the focus is on the truth. Like, this is who you are in Christ now. This is what God has done. And it puts you in the realm of righteousness and holiness and, and being satisfied in those things. Not because, like, okay, I'm righteous, that satisfies me. But, oh, it, it, I get to operate in this realm because I am satisfied, because I do have a relationship with God. And in fact, what he's saying in a sense is you're going to have desires. God made you to have those desires. He gave you those desires for a reason, but not to be controlled by those desires, nor to be destroyed by those desires. God gave you desires, right? Those aren't bad. We are not like Buddhists who say, get rid of all desire. Desire is bad. That's what's evil in the world. And if you just get rid of desire, then you're going to be okay. The Christian God put us in a world and made it beautiful and wanted us to love it, not, but not so that we could love it, but through it we could love him. Instead of being controlled by them, we find satisfaction in the reality of pursuing those desires within a loving relationship with God and others. Can, can I just help you to see aspects of this, okay? So, again, I'll show you the pattern here, right? These are put off and put on in the next paragraph, right? Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, again, for we are members of one another. There's these, these renewal things. What is he saying? He said, you're renewed in grace, and this grace has put you in a body of believers, and you need to operate differently, not just, okay, it's good to lie and bad, sorry, that's wrong. It's, it's good to tell the truth, it's bad to lie, right? Just do it. No, he's saying, live in this reality that you're members of one another. You have this grace. Isn't it a good thing to be members of one another? And then it goes on what he says. He says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. He's saying you, you live in a new, new reality here. You, you know what the devil's objectives are. You know that Christ is, is, is working the victory out. He's won the victory. He's going to complete the victory. So don't give opportunities to the devil by letting your anger 
keep going. Now, what's interesting here is there are six, in a sense, realities of grace that he touches on, things that we should renew our minds about. Go back to Ephesians chapter 1. What are the, how many spiritual realities do we have in Ephesians chapter 1? Six. What, we're chosen, adopted, redeemed? We, we know what the plan is? We have an inheritance? We're sealed. And just a fun exercise if you want to do it sometime this afternoon. Take those six from Ephesians chapter 1, map them onto the six in Ephesians 4, 25 through the end of the chapter. And they map. They don't, they're not like one-to-one. One, two, three, but they map. And, and the point is this. Is he's, oh, he's pulling you back into, this is who you are in Christ. This is the grace that you have received in Christ. You're chosen. You're redeemed. You're adopted. These are, this is who you are. This is what it means to be renewed in grace, is to say, this is the kind of person I can be now. Because God has put me into his grace. I mean, this is echoed, right? In Galatians, where it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Why, the, the, the Holy Spirit is working these things in you and through you. Now, you can ask the question, well, how, how do we put, if I'm supposed to be operating grace and I've got desires and someone else has desires... How do I walk in grace and, and work through the conflict of desires that we have? Now, Paul knows that that's a problem, and he's going to get there eventually. If you go to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 and following, he's going to say, walk in wisdom. How do I speak the truth in love and, and, and put those together? I've got to walk in wisdom. And then he talks about what it means, the grace of submitting to one another, and he plays that out in husband and wife relationships and, and, in, and in children and parent relationships and in work relationships. He, he plays that out. He understands the difficulty. But the fundamental reality is we must operate as if grace satisfies, as if that's enough, that, that the re, new reality that we have in Christ is good enough. Not just good enough, but what really satisfies. Go back to Christ on the, in the Garden of Gethsemane. What is he saying there about satisfying desire? He's saying, I can trust my Father. The other thing he's saying is that there is something more satisfying than avoiding pain. Right? He's saying, Father, uh, this is going to be painful. In fact, it's so, it's, it's, it's so the anticipation of, it, of its pain is, it means it's painful right now. I'm experiencing pain even right now. But, what? There's something more satisfying than just avoiding pain. It's walking with your Father. Grace of the clothes where, you know, we just, in some ways, we want to get back to the garden where we walk in the evening with God and enjoy Him and, and fellowship with Him and, and know His, His world and, and walk in that world. Grace are the clothes we walk in as if we are already there. We have a relationship with God from the foundation of the world that covers our mistakes 
and means that we are a precious family member of God's. We survived that first trip to the Boundary Waters. It wasn't always easy. It was, was a little bit of a challenge. The water was high. Not only did Dave and Phil dumped, but Nate and I dumped. You know, it was, it was or I think it was Nate and I, or no, somebody. I know I dumped, let's put it that way. I had to pull off my non-cotton stuff and let it dry too, you know. But I could put it back on again because it dried. When, I got, when we got out of the Boundary Waters, you know what? I loved those clothes. I thought they were the most awesome thing in the world, right? You're like, they're just clothes. No, they were awesome. Because they had helped me to endure in Dave and Nate's world. You know, I, I, had, I, I could survive in Dave's world, Dave and Nate's world, not only survive, but thrive in Dave and Nate's world because I had the right clothes on, as opposed to Phil, who struggled. But he got through too. And I think sometimes we go out into the world and we try to always put the old clothes back on. And we're like, hey, I think, I think this could work out. I think I'm just going to go after this today. This will be good for me, right? Or we go out in the world and we think to ourselves, I'm going to get rid of the old stuff. And we walk out naked. We get out in the world and the world's like, hey, you're naked. Uh, what do you want to live for? You need something. Here, try this or try that or try this. When we have the most awesome clothes in the world. In fact, being honest, right? Like, we drive by Cabela's or drive by, you know, those sporting places, Jack's, whatever. I'm like, hey, can we go in? And I just want to check out the camping gear. By that, I mean the clothes. Because I love those type of clothes. I'm like, man, you know, get the, I don't know what it is. It's like nylon pants, and the, you can rip away the shorts if you want to, and you can go into water, and you come back out, and you're dry in 30 seconds. I mean, this is awesome. Those clothes are totally awesome. I want to live in those clothes. And sometimes what we do is we just, we walk out into the world, and we forget about putting on our clothes of grace. We forget that we're chosen. We forget that we're redeemed. We forget that we're forgiven, and that we have the, we understand what God is doing in the world. And we just walk out into the world like, oh, no big deal. This is, I'm sure the world's a pleasant place. No, it's cold and hard and evil at times, right? Or at least it's trying to sell you a bunch of lies. At least. And we forget that our soul needs to have the, the, set, the, the realm of being satisfied in grace. We need to walk in grace. We need to know the satisfaction that we have about grace. This is what speaking the truth in love looks like. It's not just saying, don't do this and do that. It's saying, look at the grace we have. Isn't it awesome that we've received grace? Let's speak grace to one another. Isn't it often we've been forgiven? Let's forgive one another. That's living in grace. It's being satisfied with grace. Grace. 
I like romantic comedies. I, I, I like, my, my wife hates them in a sense because she's like, if they would just tell each other what they're feeling and what they want, then we wouldn't have to go through all this drama for an hour. I'm like, yeah, I know, but it's kind of cool. You know, the, the journey is part of the destination, right? And she's like, nope. <laughs> Sometimes we just forget that God is speaking to us this is who you are. This is what I want. This is what will satisfy you. This is what you need. We're like the people in Wally. We are headed home. We have a home prepared for us. The victory has been won. And we have received the close of that victory. Will you live in those clothes? Will you help your children live in those clothes? These are the clothes that will get us home. Let's walk in them. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that you've put us in Christ, and in Christ we are forgiven and we are redeemed, and you've made us part of your family. when we look at our failures and we look at our mistakes and we look at our problems, we can know that you are redeeming us and you are working in us and you are not letting us ultimately fail. That you are our possession, we are sealed in the Holy Spirit and we have an inheritance at our home that is waiting for us. And it can't be destroyed because your grace surrounds us. Your grace is with us. And the great thing about being a Christian is walking in grace, knowing your grace, and be reminded as we share grace with one another of the great clothes that we have that will get us home. Help us to put off the old ways of satisfaction and to put on the grace we've received. In your son's name, amen.